Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We have, uh, again, I think, a special program today. We're going to focus on a unique Carmelite devotion, and that is the devotion to the infant of Prague. Um, this particular devotion has a deep and long history with the Carmelite order. Uh, obviously, it's appropriate for the time of year that we're entering now, Advent. Um, and there are many, many blessings uh, associated with this devotion that we hope to both uh, share with you in uh, this program, as well as perhaps hear from some of our listeners in the ways that they may have been blessed over the years uh, through devotion to the Infant of Prague. Uh, but before we begin, let me say hi to my co-host, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you? I'm hanging in there with you, Mark. I'm so glad to be back to have this conversation tonight because I learned so much about the miraculous infant Jesus of Prague. Well, and you know, it's interesting. You had asked me, and we'll get into the conversation in a moment after prayer, but um, you know how I sort of came to the experience of devotion to the infant outside of, frankly, my Carmelite um, um uh, history and my, my Carmelite experience, uh, and I'll share that, and I'd like to hear as well your experience with it. And as I say, I'm hoping that our listeners will join our conversation because the devotion to the infant of uh, Jesus of Prague is a worldwide, of course, devotion, very popular yes. across the uh, globe, and uh, has a number of very uh, strong advocates, many of whom I've met personally. Francis, as we do each week, why don't we begin... Uh, this conversation in prayer. This prayer comes from the Venerable Father Cyril, who is a discussed Carmelite friar, who has a big stake in the beginning of this great devotion to the infant Jesus of Prague. So let us begin by getting recollected within. Focus, put your uh, worries aside, and let's just know Jesus um, is within you. And let us direct our attention to him in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Infant Jesus, unto you with a humble trust I pray. Through your mother's sinless heart, help me in my need today. I believe that you are God with a power that is divine. Full of confidence, I ask that you grant this prayer of mine. Firm my purpose to amend, I resolve to grieve no more that most loving heart of yours, out of which all mercies pour. My whole life I give to you. I will serve you, infant king, suffer for you patiently, do your will in everything. Little Jesus, for your sake I will love my neighbor too. I will seek the other's good through the love I bear for you. Save me through your mother's prayers and St. Joseph's. Grant me then with the heavenly choirs to sing endless praise to you. Amen. Amen. Well, Francis, this actually has a bit of a humorous uh, backdrop to it, but I'll uh, be happy to share with you uh, my own coming to the devotion of the uh, uh, infant Jesus of Prague. Um, actually, this... Um, began long before I became a member of the Carmelite community, long before I had the opportunity to meet you and so many other great members of our community. Uh, my wife had a 
um, version, if you will, of the statue that she brought to our marriage. Okay. And for a number of years, it, it uh, was above um, my bureau in the various houses that we lived in. I never really paid it much attention. I had seen it before, though I didn't really understand the history of the devotion or uh, the significance of it. I hadn't done any reading on it. Um, this was uh, that time in my life I think I've shared with our audience before where I was sort of a Sunday Catholic. So, um, you know, my faith was important, but it was uh, just a, uh, you know, one of the pieces, if you will, of my otherwise busy life. Uh, so I didn't pay it much attention. And I, I remember one day, finally, uh, just in curiosity, asking my wife, um, what was the significance of the statue? And she mm-hmm. began to explain the infant of Prague. And um, she shared, as I think most people uh, are introduced to this devotion, she shared that it was um, primarily focused on, um, you know, providing for our needs. And, and we could turn to the infant uh, to meet, um, you know, our, our sort of financial obligations or uh, stability in our in our um, uh, home and so on and so forth, but it was primarily introduced to me that way, and I happened to ask her where she had come by the statue, and she <laughs> shared at that time that it had been given to her by an old boyfriend, uh, to which I think I might have grunted in reply or you know something. <laughs> little, did, little did that boyfriend know that he <laughs> he was giving to her a means to obtain a wonderful husband, yeah. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a few months later that statue was gone. I didn't have anything to do with this, by the way. But interestingly, I happened to be visiting my son this past week, and I saw it on top of his bureau, so I now (laughs) know where it it ended up. But uh, not long after that, when I did join Carmel, my uh, my second son replaced that um, infant of Prague with one that he purchased for me, and I, I treasure it. In fact, it's in the little room in my home, uh, in our home, that is, um, we sort of call the chapel. It's a quiet room off in the corner that allows us to pray. So, anyway, um, what's your history? Well, I, I first encountered this statue as I entered the monastery gates of the sisters, the Carmelite sisters, the Discalced Carmelite sisters, they're cloistered in San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing it out there. It was all white on top of the stone. And I'm like, well, that's an interesting place to put an infant Jesus. And, and, you know, I was just, I was just taken by it and just like, you know, a feel good, you know, as, as all, all adults do with babies, or, or most adults do when you see a, a baby, uh, or the, you know, the purity, the innocence, and so, um, but I really didn't learn anything about the devotion until much later. In fact, it wasn't too long ago that a, a good friend of mine, Tammy from Oklahoma, a Carmelite there, a secular order Carmelite, um, gave me a, an infant Jesus of Prague, so I see him every night. And we get to speak. And, and so now, having done this program and preparing for this, I, I just love it all the more. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm showing you a picture. I don't know if you knew this, but there is a Prague, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, yes. And there's a national shrine to the infant there. So I suspect yes. that's where Tammy is. So all you people in Oklahoma can go there. You will you will find uh, great um, prayers being answered. And, and as Mark had alluded to, uh, it does play out in... In the history, that the financially uh, material um, needs were met, but there's so much more. And so, you know, I I just found that this was interesting. That um, you know, this image uh, is one of the few that has a crown 
mm-hmm. uh, of the baby Jesus. Right. And uh, so I want to describe this image so that our listeners will know which image of Jesus we're talking about. Okay, mm-hmm. it's an it's an, a young Jesus. It, it's not necessarily a. a a baby it's more like a, a one-year-old yeah. well, well i guess that's a baby but not a brand yeah. new baby not like you know in the cradle standing up he's standing up and he's got a crown on his head and he's got his one hand in the form his right hand his right yeah. hand and yeah. with the two fingers up and the thumb and the ring finger and the pinky finger closed now that's very significant because that's the, that's the symbol of a blessing mm-hmm. and i also learned that the two fingers standing up is is for the two natures of the human and the divine uh-huh. and that the the three fingers coming together with the thumb the two fingers and the thumb making that circle about the eternal um and and the divine um and the trinity mm-hmm. the three for the trinity mm-hmm. okay. and then in the left hand so you got this image in the right hand with the priestly blessing so i'm thinking okay priest mm. and then in the other hand it there's like a ball um i used to think it was the earth you know, I always sphere. see it as well. Yeah. But, but my understanding it is is a sphere, um, but it stands for the universe, and then on top of it is a cross, and so that is symbolic of his um, kingship mm-hmm. over all the universe. So I mean that that encompasses more than just the earth, of course. So um, this image in particular. Um, is one of only two, I believe, that have the crown on the baby Jesus. Um, there's another one in Cebu, Philippines, which I know we know from the news with the typhoon that went through. In fact, I looked it up to see, did that statue survive that typhoon? And it did, as far as I could tell from my research. Um, but the bell tower of the church where that is placed um, crashed. So anyway... Um, this is one of the few that have the crown on there. And so here we have, you know, Jesus coming, you know, we, I, I'm thinking priest, prophet, and king. You know, uh, we're, we're told when we're going through Catholic education about we all have that call to be Pete priest, prophet, and king in our state of life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just uh, thought, oh, this is great. And, you know, I kept thinking, why, why the baby Jesus? And I, I ran across this article, you know. This devotion to Jesus as the king, the infant king, begins with the the three magi, you know, and them following the star and laying their gifts at the manger. And here the infant turns the power structure upside down. And there's this quote from C.S. Lewis who asked, Why did God enter into our human condition so quietly as a baby born in obscurity? And his answer because he had to slip clandestinely behind enemy lines. Yes, because, you know, the people were looking for this powerful, you know, king that was going to, you know, set up this uh, very tangible kingdom um, rather than the, the kingship within our hearts. And so uh, it's very interesting. Uh, but this image of the miraculous infant Jesus of Prague is one that's um, venerated throughout the year. And not just at Christmas. So um, I wanted to kind of point that out. And, I, of course, Prague. Yeah, and, uh, and actually there's nothing particularly unique about Christmas as relates um, the Infant of Prague devotion uh, or even the Advent season, although um, the, the infancy 
um, aspect of the of the infant is of course important for this time of year. But um, your your point is well taken. It, it it is a devotion that really goes throughout the course of the year and really has worldwide appeal. Unlike so many uh, Catholic devotions, which may be unique to individual countries or at least predominant in say individual countries, this is really a very uh, sort of Catholic in the sense of universal devotion. It's it's very popular throughout the world. And and you know it makes this. God, this King, this God become uh, human, it makes him approachable. And, and isn't it, it, it's again that whole story about the, um, the pride of life is conquered through the humility. Mm-hmm. Power is conquered through the weakness, you know. And so you've got this weak little infant Jesus, and yet he is the King of Kings. And, you know, it's just, it's just the, another version of looking at the cross. You know, here you have a very dependent baby who is um, surrendering all. And then on the cross, you, you see that as well. So, well, well, you know, it's often missed. In fact, as I say, when it was first introduced to me, there was nothing um, particularly unique about the Carmelite aspect of this. But in fact, the devotion, and I, lay, I discovered this much later, even after having had a devotion uh, to the infant of Prague myself, I mentioned my wife uh, being the first one to introduce me to it, but uh, I developed a devotion, and it was only later, even after I'd been in Carmel for a time, that I discovered the infant was really predominantly a Carmelite devotion. Yeah, me devotion. too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. And this is an interesting history, actually. The, the um, first association with the order really has nothing to do with the statue itself, but more, and this is so true of so many of the things that we discover about Carmel, it's the spirit of the devotion that is most significant. And that began with Teresa of Avila because of her great devotion to holy childhood and the littleness of God's greatness, which is exactly what you just said, Francis. You know, his slipping in behind enemy lines, holy humility is the way that he entered the world. We're called to model that. And it is a very proper way of establishing his relationship with his creatures to enter the world in exactly the same way that we all did. And so we honor the infant in so many ways, but predominantly because we acknowledge Christ came to be one of us in the fullest extent possible, not as king only, but as a person first, and therefore as a child, as a baby, an infant, who dealt with all of the same uh, trials and struggles, many in some cases more than we uh, are forced to struggle with. But uh, St. Teresa, of course, uh, her great devotion to the King of Kings came to us, uh, she says, as a little child, in order that the littlest among us would be willing, as you said, to a approach him. Um, well, you know, she would have the nuns sing a lullaby to him every night. And and I believe they picked the 25th um, in honor of the nativity. And I mm-hmm. believe they're at the shrine in Prague. It's the 25th of the month, every month. Uh, in fact, they have their novena from the 16th um, through the 25th. Mm-hmm. But on the 25th, um, on the Feast of the Nativity, but every month in remembrance of that, you know, they are uh, having devotions to the infant Jesus. So she would have the nuns sing lullabies to Jesus every night before going to bed. And of course, we know St. John the Cross also had a great love of the infant Jesus. In fact, there's a big connection with St. John the Cross and the Los Posados, which the Mexican culture really... Um, You'll have to explain that now for uh, Los Posados. 
Sabbatus is is uh, the journey in, in plural, and it's a nine day celebration of the journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem and then to the Nativity. And uh, John of the Cross, his connection here is that he would take the statues of Joseph and Mary and go throughout the the monastery from door to door, taking the statues, and whichever uh, door they landed at would be um, uh, the one that would get to stay with Jesus through the night. It was a special honor, and you know there would be special graces, of course, and um, but uh, it was to help. Remember the Christ story. And of course, you already had St. Francis of Assisi and the Nativity and all of that happening. So now you have the journeying there to the Nativity scene being brought to the fore. And so St. John the Cross very much loved that. And of course, we know Therese of the child Jesus and of the Holy Face, our little flower. She had a great devotion to the uh, infant Jesus. In fact, she was the one who um, uh, took a statue of the infant Jesus into the novitiate when she was to help lead the novitiate and and to turn to Jesus for help because she felt inadequate, which was perfect because she emptied herself so that God could fill her. So uh, she always had what she needed to help those. But um, and, you know, we have others. In fact, I wanted to mention this other one. Um, there's a Margaret, a venerable Margaret of the Blessed Sacrament who is known, uh, and then she was later in the 1600s, who is known for a chaplet to the infant Jesus. And, of course, there's poems by John the Cross. Um, My sweet and lovable Jesus, if loves are to slay me, let it be right now. That is a poem attributed to John of the Cross and and many more. And, of course, um, this chaplet, there's a whole history on that. And then there is a brother... Um, a venerable brother Francis of the infant Jesus, who lived about the time from um, the late 1500s to the 1600s, and um, his great devotion to the infant Jesus of Prague. So, oh, so many different stories we could gather together. But we want to kind of get to the main, uh, the main story. Of course, there are legends attached to this, but we're going to kind of skip over the legendary part, other than we think St. Teresa of Avila may have given this special image to a special lady. Well, you've mentioned Prague. We should provide that backdrop in the earliest uh, sort of documented history uh, related to the statue in Prague. That's in the year 1628. A small, we gather, about a 19-inch high wooden and wax-coated statue of the infant was given by uh, Princess Polyzina von Lapkowitz. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, to the discalced Carmelites in Prague. She had a great uh, uh, attachment to um, to the community there. Yeah, her husband had died, mm-hmm. and she was going to live out the rest of her life in charity, and so she was very kind to the discalced Carmelite friars there. Now, she had actually previously received this as a, a wedding gift in 1603 from her mother, uh, Maria Manrica de Lara de Menendez. De, de Men, Mendoza. Mendoza. Sorry. Mendoza, yes. Uh, she had been a Spanish noblewoman to whom uh, this uh, statue had been given as a gift in Spain in 1555. So we're tracing back 1628, 1603, now 1555. And she brought it actually to uh, Bohemia, modern-day 
uh, Prague, and an old legend in the Lobkowitz family insists that Dona Maria actually may have received this from Teresa Avila herself. Now, we, of course, don't know that it's not documented history, uh, but that was the sort of, as you said, legend that and, carried on. And it could very well have happened because Teresa took an infant Jesus uh, statue to all the convents that she founded. And, um, you know, she, we know, had a great devotion to him. And she also had a special um, vision or ap- I guess I guess it was a vision, or it could have been an apparition. But anyway, she saw the the infant Jesus on the stairs, and um, she says um, the child asked, "Who are you?" And she responded, "Teresa of Jesus." And then the child Jesus responds, "Well, then I am Jesus of Teresa." And, and now that's in one of Teresa's books, so <laughs> I'm not making that up. So um, so there is a great love here, and so it, it it's possible that that this can. Connection. It really happened. Well, you know, it's not uh, I- insignificant, I think, that the Blessed Mother, of course, is the patroness of our order, and the protector of our order is St. Joseph. So it is not at all inconceivable that Teresa, having reformed the order uh, in the very powerful and meaningful way that she did, having developed her own devotion to the Blessed uh, Infant, may well have commissioned uh, a statue uh, and then uh, might well have given it to uh, um, Maria uh, Mendoza for uh, her wedding gift. So uh, I agree, it's not it's not beyond um, uh, the possibility, but but it is not documented history. We just right. want to be clear about that. And you know, I want our listeners to take note that this <clears throat> is a wonderful gift to give as a wedding gift because not only does it bless your marriage um, and and you're looking at the authority of Jesus, but you know the pro the fruit of marriage is. Children, oftentimes, so uh, if not actual uh, blood, physical children, you know, spiritual children, so that um, maternal aspect and and asking the blessing of the infant Jesus upon your own children is one of the ways you can express this devotion. So anyway, where do we go from here? We should point out that when a Princess Polyzina gave this to. Uh, the Carmelite friars in Prague, she said, Venerable fathers, I bring you my dearest possession. Honor this image and you shall never want. Yes, so, big important words there. Yeah, this is where we think the idea of the infant supplying for our needs and our wants. There are many other reasons, of course, to pray, and we're going to cover those uh, probably in the second half of our hour. But uh, I suspect this is where that devotion to uh, fulfilling our most immediate needs and the devotion to um, the infant of Prague comes from. Um, This was, um, of course, a gift, as we say, that she uh, provided to them. And later, Emperor Ferdinand II of the House of the Habsburgs sent along a large sum of money, let's just uh, say it that way, because it was in in the currency of the time. We we don't really know exactly how much it was worth, but um, to provide monthly stipend for the support of the statue. Right, and you know, those friars, they put the statue in the oratory of the Monastery of Our Lady of Victory. Now, where do we know that name from? Well... Therese, the little flower, the smiling statue of Our Lady uh, that healed her when she was sick. Our Lady, the smile, that was um, at the time when they were having all those novitas prayed at Our Lady of Victory Church. So I'm like, right. ding, 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 I'm connecting there, you know. So, uh, but anyway, there before the statue, they would, uh, the friars then would offer devotions twice a day because mm-hmm. uh, 
you seeing the infant Jesus reminded them of the the poverty of God that he would leave heaven to come to earth in the poverty of humanity and so here is where they would make their vows of poverty well when we come back we're going to talk about uh, the father that Francis already mentioned father Cyril and the very significant he role he played in ultimately I think perpetuating this devotion across the globe uh, and the unique circumstances that brought that about we'll talk about that when we come back in the meantime reminder you're listening to Carmelite conversations on Radio Maria a Christian voice in your home we'll be right back to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, Francis, you had already mentioned Father Cyril in, in, in the break. You gave me his full name and religion. Why don't we share that with our audience? Yes, Father Cyril of the Mother of God. And I had to think, oh, here he is, of the Mother of God. And so she would want him to adore her infant son. So isn't it interesting that he would be the one that is so attached to this widespreading, um, this, uh, the fame, uh, the beginnings of, of really getting to know this infant Jesus of Prague? Well, I think 
had it not been for the tragedy, Francis, a series of tragedies, really, that we're going to relate now, mm-hmm. this devotion might well not have had its worldwide appeal. But God had a plan. God had a plan. <laughs> and isn't that so often the case? And of course, in this particular instance, I think uh, it's going to be demonstrated that Father Cyril's perseverance in bringing about what the infant had asked of him yes. uh, through so many obstacles is in itself representative of how we need to respond to the infant, how we need to respond to um, really trials and and uh, difficulties and obstacles, so many of which he faced and had to overcome. Right, and, and so as we listen to this story of this history, let us think of the great faith that this Father Cyril had. Because he had to go with faith or he wouldn't have made it. <laughs> well, Father Sierra was, of course, a, a Carmelite friar in the monastery of Our Lady of Victory in Prague. Uh, in 1630, this Carmelite novitiate was actually transferred to Munich. And with that transfer of the novices, Prague lost its most ardent devotees of the infant, those being the Carmelite friars, of course. And that was because of the war, right? The Thirty Years' War. Disturbances, yeah, uh, in Bohemia due to the Thirty Years' War. Um, brought really an end to these devotions. And on November 15th in 1631, uh, King Gustavus Adolphus uh, of Sweden uh, took possession of Bohemia's capital city, Prague. The Carmelite friar was plundered, and the image of the infant Prague was thrown into a pile of rubbish behind the altar. So it was yeah. just discarded behind the altar. It lay there forgotten for a number of years. Um, its hands seven seven years. Yeah. I think that's important. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, its hands uh, were broken off as a result of its being cast aside this way, uh, and it was not found again until 1637 by this same Father Cyril, who placed it in the church's oratory. He was so enthusiastic, Francis about finding it, he did not even notice that the hands were missing. Yes. Uh, it wasn't significant to him. He right. just said, oh, I have the baby, I have the, the child, I have the infant. Yeah, the devotion took him right into the spiritual realm, which is where it should take us. Yes. Now, now these were very difficult times in, in Prague, and especially for the Carmelite Monastery. There was great poverty. Um, this was the time, I think, Francis, of the plague, right? Yes, the Black, the Black Plague, plague. <clears throat> which, which, of course, uh, devastated a good deal of um, this region and Europe, uh, for that matter. And Father Cyril, who had great devotion uh, to the statue itself, as I say, he was the one who really rescued it uh, from the pile behind the monastery once the, the Carmelite friars reoccupied it, uh, was in deep prayer one day before the statue, and uh, he said that he heard these words. I'm going to let you read them. Yeah, it was a locution. He heard a voice say, Have pity on me, and I will have pity on you. Give me my hands, and I will give you peace. The more you honor me, the more I will bless you. Now, yeah. that last line, the yeah. more you honor me, the more I will bless you. You often find those words underneath the statue. Yeah, almost always. You won't find uh, the the uh, preceding line regarding the uh, replacement of, of hands, although I think it's an equally significant line, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes, And if we think about it, Christ having said, have pity on me and I will have pity on you, give me my hands. In a way, Christ is saying, give me your hands yeah. that they will become my hands. And the work you will do in, in overcoming not just the poverty in the world, but I think the poverty in the human spirit. This yes, is what indeed. he was calling the friars to do. And don't we need that now? In a very significant way. And he says, in fact, and I will give you peace. He 
doesn't say in this line, I will give you goods. Of course, the friars weren't particularly interested in goods. They had practiced um, uh, successfully detachment from that. And great poverty. And, and were living in that in that very trying time of poverty. But then he goes on, the more you honor me, the more I will bless you. And that's what does uh, more often than not, get associated with the infant, and hence our perspective that uh, the infant uh, supplies our needs, which is perfectly appropriate. It, it is yeah. it is so true of God's blessing to us that he does supply our needs. So Father Cyril then goes to his prior and immediately asks him for the funds to repair the statue, but the prior doesn't see things quite the same way. And because the practical matters, and how often that is the case, practical matters supersede, and that outweighs the request, so the prior refru- refused. Now, Father Ciro, of course, we said before, he's undeterred uh, by this experience. He simply turns again to the infant in prayer and asks for the support that he needs. <clears throat> Eventually, a well-to-do man uh, comes to the city of Prague uh, after having fallen ill and, and calls for uh, the services of a priest. Father Cyril is sent to him to minister to him. Uh, and the man patiently listens to Father Cyril's story, interestingly enough, although Father Cyril had been sent to minister it, uh, to him. And the gentleman agrees to provide the funds that are necessary uh, for the project, that being the repairing of the statue. Uh, Father Cyril, of course, at that time doesn't really know what that might cost. And uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> when he goes to the prior with the money, rather than using the money to repair the old statue, <laughs> he says, I'm just going to buy a new one. And isn't that so true of our uh, modern society as well, right? We'll discard the old, the broken, the shattered, the um, you know, the less than perfect, and we'll go buy something new. We do this not just with things, unfortunately, Francis, but in our our world we do this with people don't we you know people that are broken sometimes we dispense with them and you and i had this conversation thankfully over the radio um this is a message i think that our holy father is really trying to get across to us right now about the need to reach out to that element of our society who though they may not be in concert with the teachings of the church in all aspects of their life they are in need more perhaps of the gospel and the message of joy which is his most recent encyclical uh, than those who are um, uh, successfully, albeit with their own trials, living the call of the gospel. And reaching out and offering healing to them, we too are healed in an interior way, the spiritual wounds of our souls. Right. Well, the money he asked for, uh, Father Cyril, as we said, um, was forced to purchase another statue, but Guess that statue didn't to... last very long, <laughs> no, it did it? didn't. <laughs> a candlestick falls on it and breaks it. Can you imagine that? The Lord seems to have a way of getting what he wants, no matter what. So, yes, so, the second statue is uh, shattered. And, and Father Cyril goes back to prayer. <laughs> he goes back to prayer, and then uh, I'm going to let you pick up the story of the woman who enters. Yeah, the, now, the... now he's rewarded by the appearance of a noble lady. Hint, hint. Later on, they wonder, is this the Blessed Mother? But he's rewarded by the appearance of a noble lady who simply handed him a sizable sum of money without explanation. And so now there is a new prior. And so Father Cyril's pretty sure he can convince him to now finally repair the statue. Right. So obviously, Francis, we're giving a very quick a synopsis of a lengthy story. We said there's a new prior. This has taken some time. Yeah. And Father Ciro hasn't uh, walked away in discouragement. Instead, he's remained in prayer. Right. He persevered. He believes that he experienced this locution, that the Lord asked him to undertake this uh, 
mission, this effort to replace the project, as he referred to it, to replace his hands, and he's not deterred in um, in doing whatever is necessary to do that. The prior, uh, new prior, agrees so long as the amount that is necessary to affect the repair doesn't exceed the amount that the woman gave him. Well, but what it, happens next? <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't enough money. So again, Father Cyril goes to the statue and he prays. And then he heard within his soul these words. Place me within the entrance of the sacristy and you will receive aid. And then... A gentleman comes into the sacristy and saw the statue with the missing hands. Now, I, I found some research here that actually mm. says a date with a name, and it was about a man who had lost his reputation, was accused of some horrendous thing, mismanagement, and he had come broken, but, you know, had given this sum of money, and then shortly after, <laughs> his reputation was redeemed, and, you know, the charges dropped, and so there is a name, and I looked on all my papers. I'm like, where's that paper? I only have a, this stack of papers. I couldn't find it. But I think it's, his name was Davies. Yeah. But um, I can't remember exactly, but it's out there. <laughs> you know, and this is where I think it's so important, Francis. We talk about, for example, we talked about uh, the spirit of Elijah, right? There is some uh, legitimate uh, uh, criticism and, and uh, a critiquing of whether there is a direct lineage in the Carmelite order all the way back to Elijah. Did, did, Elijah monks, if you will, live all the way up to the time of, of Christ and then carry on with um, uh, the first Carmelites on Mount Carmel. It's, it's certainly historically debatable. The spirit of Elijah is the, is the significance of the order. Here, we don't want to miss the spirit of what is happening. Christ has said on uh, this first occasion, have pity on me and I will have pity on you. Give me my hands. And of course, we know Father Cyril uh, uh, actively engages in this project, which become Christ's hands. And he says, I will give you peace. The more you honor me, the more I will bless you. And there are these series of both accomplishments and setbacks. And then what does the Lord say to him? Place me within, within the entrance of the sacristy and you will receive aid. There are two messages here. One, the physical presence of Christ in the sacristy in the form of the statue. The second is the sacristy is our own soul, right? Right. It's the center of our being. Place me within the entrance of that sacristy, he says. Devote everything to me. We don't know what Father Cyril's spiritual development or maturity was at this stage. What we do know is that every one of us, as we enter this spiritual journey, there are going to be trials, there are going to be setbacks, there are going to be obstacles, there are going to be, um, um, you know, difficulties that we're going to have to overcome. And ultimately, what Christ will say to each of us is, put me in the very center of this. Stop trying to do, you know, sort of everything on your own, if you will. Even though I may have taken you through a number of experiences of doing that, now put me in the center and I'll take care of everything. Well, and and in the actual history, I'm impressed that there are three individuals that are part of the repairing you know the 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 first person was the ill man right. that father cyril uh attended to and then the second one is the mysterious noble woman mm-hmm. and then here you have the third individual this man whose reputation was down the tubes and now um is going to give this money and then of course um uh, the statue was repaired at this time, the, right. uh, at this third uh, opportunity. And now something else interesting happened. So the the funds given were sufficient to repair the statue. And the statue is finally uh, uh, placed in the church for public 
adoration. Yes, now we're going to public adoration. Mm-hmm. Ah, ha. Now, unfortunately, the monks, uh, uh, Father Cyril's fellow monks, did not immediately take to this devotion. They didn't see it as their primary mission in any way uh, to promote the devotion to this infant. And after, uh, on their own part, a number of additional hardships and misfortunes, including a near-death experience of the prior. Yes. Now, this is the prior who had authorized this. He spending. got the Black Plague. Right. And in, he, on his uh, sickbed, he said, okay, I, if I am healed, I will offer a novena masses, I believe that's what it mm-hmm. was, and then we'll spread the devotion to the infant to the Jesus infant, of right. Prague. And, and he was cured. And he was cured. <laughs> and so then came the uh, necessary um, um, commitment on the part of the yes, monks. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're the monks changed their position and said, "Oh, okay, yeah. we get it." Now they're, they're, they're starting these. to say, "Okay, this statue has special significance. We have a devotion to it, and we have a role to play in spreading this devotion." And because God, they're seeing the hand of God in these miraculous uh, interventions, right. you know. And with the prior's healing, that was a, a big seal to deal. And, and to this day, of course, the the devotion is called the Infant. Jesus of Prague, or the infant of Prague. Uh, Prague is the centerpiece of it. This was the mission that they were given. And you know, Prague is interesting because that's the hot seat of the German uh, hierarchy, royalty, the Habsburg family. Mm-hmm, right. And and there's another story there, and that plays in, but we don't have time to get into that. I, I will tell you, I've said this, I think, before um, on the program, that my son has had the uh, privilege of visiting the city of Prague, in addition to a number of cities throughout Europe, and it was his contention that Prague is the most beautiful city he's ever seen in his life. And many other people who've oh. been there hold that same opinion. Wow. I haven't had the pleasure. Uh, devotion for the statue continued when the priest for Baroness Elizabeth Colorat in 1639. So this Baroness had a priest that, that um, provided her uh, sacraments and religious uh, Direction. Uh, support and direction. She commissioned a golden crown to be designed for the statue of the infant. So we got the royalty coming in mm-hmm. here now. And, now then in- and that's significant because people look up to the royalty. The simple people, you know, they're not reading books yet, <laughs> right? 1639. They're not got books in their hands to read all about these devotions. So what the royalty do is significant. And when they're giving these crowns, I mean, that that's money. And they're putting their money where their mouth is. And so they're they're exhibiting their faith through this devotion. And then in 1641, the same woman provided funds for a richly gilded tabernacle, which was built as the resting place for the statue. Uh, whenever it was placed on display for adoration, it seems that numerous miracles would occur. The public would turn out mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, practice very sincerely de- the devotion. And so you and see the would occur. you see the hand of God in here because these are these are the little people, and the miracles are happening with them, but also with some of the royalty, and that's mm. the result of why. Why they gave, uh, you know, robes or gems or crowns or whatever, you know, uh, in Thanksgiving for the gift of God in their life and uh, answering their prayer. And we have to accept, I've often heard people, um, I I think in some cases rightly so, though perhaps uh, at times misguided, criticize the, the glory and the beauty and the gilded uh, uh, adoration of so much of the church's presence in the world and in the 
form of this uh, Statue of Prague, let's just say, um, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time adorning their statues and and um, uh, taking care of how it's displayed and so forth. But in fairness, that is what drew people to the statue initially, initially. and then the manifestation of the the. Uh, real miracles that God worked through it help people to understand, I want you to turn your attention to this. I want you to acknowledge this. I want you to understand this. And if I have to give you uh, the the uh, sort of uh, significance of it through the manifestation of miracles, I'll do that. But I want you to look beyond the meaning. What is the meaning? It's what we talked about at the yeah. beginning of the program, Francis. Well, right? And I know John of the Cross was not too wild about putting all these dresses on these steps. <laughs> In fact, but, he, he has some criticism for those who spend too much time. Yes, doing because that. they can get stuck there spiritually yeah. and just get caught up in these this outward decoration thing right. and, and totally miss the devotion. And the devotion is supposed to lead you into the heart of God. Right. And what did you say at the beginning? Humble holiness the way that he entered the world, how he lived his life as we struggle in our own life. Christ lived that very experience. We need to acknowledge that. We need to recognize not only the divinity, but the humanity and all that that means. And that's what the statue represents. But we are drawn to it in fairness because so often we go looking for uh, the manifestation of the significance and the glory of God. So he uses that. But he uses it to draw us to something deeper. And as you say, we don't want to get caught uh, on the simple adornment of a material statue. We want to right. understand what the significance of it is. Well, in 1642, another baroness uh, comes along and finances a chapel for the infant statue. And then we get into the ecclesial approval. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and it's important that baroness you mentioned is from the lineage of the Lopkowitz family, who was a significant, played an early role in the provisioning of the ah, statue. So I that. Um, that stayed uh, connected with them. Um, and later, by the way, this um, um, uh, devotion was given uh, a feast day, and that was originally January 14th. Later, it was moved to the second Sunday after uh, the Epiphany by Pope Innocent the, the uh, 13th. And that was in 1721, and that's where it is today. Now, there are some exceptions uh, with regard to that, but I, I don't want to get into the, the calendar. Just suffice to say, it's the second right. Sunday after the Epiphany. The ecclesiastical approval actually began as far back as 1651. Uh, the general of the Carmelite order, Father Francis of the Blessed Sacrament, made a canonical visitation to the monastery in Prague to examine the matters regarding this devotion, and then uh, soon after issued a special decree approving the devotion and making it clear that the devotion was providential to spirit benefit for all those who were in fact devoted to the infant and it's important again the attachment for us Francis if we can be a bit parochial here for a moment uh, that it was a, a general of the Carmelite order who really was the first one to say there is genuine spiritual benefit to this devotion yes indeed and, and aren't we so blessed because of that and then of course you have all these regal vestments then coming into play and all these inferences uh, adding to the um, and and even rings, uh, they put rings on the fingers, and and even a golden blonde wig. Now I'm like, wow, that's a little. We're 
we're really <laughs> having a yeah, lot the, here. The, and those came in over time. In 1655 is when the um, infant was formally and solemnly crowned and proclaimed as king. Right. And, and given the crown. 1739, the Carmelites of the Austrian province formed a special devotion apart from their regular apostolate to it. And in 1741, the statue was moved uh, to the side of the Church of Our Lady of Victory. And you explained this to me earlier, Francis. Yes. This is so that the public could have more access to the devotion, right? Right. And then uh, let's jump to the papal approval, because that's the top. In 1896, Pope Leo XIII um, confirmed the sodality of the infant of Prague by granting plenary indulgence to the devotion. And then in 1913, Pope Pius X regularized the membership of the confraternity under the canonical guidance of the Carmelite order. And then, most recently, in 2009, we have Pope Benedict XVI, who visited the Czech Republic and visited this specific church, Church of Our Lady of Victory in Prague, which is probably uh, the most second-frequented shrine in all of that area. Um, the pontiff donated a golden crown with eight shells. Now, shells are significant here because of the St. John the Baptist and Mm -hmm. using the shell for the baptism of Jesus. And it was on Benedict's um, uh, papal shield. shield. Thank you. And then, um, anyway, so he, he crowned it. And um, so that that's and, and there's write ups about that visit yeah. there. It had uh, numerous pearls and garnets as well as the shells, and that is actually the the crown that the statue wears today. Yes. Uh, currently, the image alongside with Santonino de, Ce- de, de Cebu, am I saying that right? Uh, enjoys the uh, status of being canonically crowned as the only Christological image among the Marian images that were previously crowned by a pontiff. So yes. that's significant. Big, yeah, big deal. So uh, now, how does this play out into actual devotion, Mark? Well, it's important, I think, as I said at the beginning, and, and we've sort of uh, gone back and forth, most of the time that people are introduced to the devotion uh, to the infant of Prague, it's simply as... Uh, um, a way of securing our needs. Um, oftentimes it's characterized as financial or uh, perhaps health-related issues and what have you. Uh, but there are actually a number of different both devotions and patronages. Let's just talk quickly about the patronage. Uh, first of all, the master of vocations. Father Cyril was responsible for vocations in the monastery. Yes. And he... Um, went to the to the infant initially uh, praying for an increase in vocations, which he then subsequently experienced. We certainly could use that today. A protector of good health, we mentioned the cures from illness, the prior who was cured from the Black Plague. Uh, good financier is one of the patronages. Carmel in Prague uh, made the infant, the master of the administration of the or of the uh, of, of the monastery, and it remained in good order from that point on. Refuge of families, you mentioned this one, Francis. Yes, and protector of the children, uh, very important there. And then the patron of schools, reminder of Christ's own infancy, and of course, prince of peace. Because um, he literally holds the world, the universe, the universe <laughs> in right. his left hand, and the helper of missions. And we think this might kingdom. be part of um, uh, uh, Therese's devotion to the infant as well. Uh, oh, absolutely. Helper of missions. She, of course, was a great missionary, uh, desired herself to be a missionary, but nonetheless remains uh, probably one of the greatest missionaries. Uh, and then the devotion has many forms. I want to mention just quickly a book 
that served as one source document for our conversation today. Uh, it's by Catholic Book Publishing Corporation, simply called The Infant Jesus of Prague. The Infant Jesus of Prague. Um, and it's by a father, Nemec, N-E-M-E-C, who's a noted historian of the um, devotion and of uh, the infant of Prague. It has within it a number of uh, novenas, um, litany to the holy name and and to the infant, and a number of prayers. A very good, very brief, by the way, I think less than 100 pages, just over 100 pages, but nonetheless very comprehensive. All of the history that we've gone through is in here, and most importantly, the prayers are in here. And since we're talking about prayer, Francis... We need to close with a prayer. And I thought an act of consecration to the infant Jesus of Prague would be most appropriate. So I'm going to ask our listeners if you would just um, close your eyes, if if you're not driving, (laughs) if you're able to, just close your eyes. And we're going to make this act of consecration. And so let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O sweet child Jesus, who didst manifest thy power and mercy through a little waxen figure of thyself in Prague, I wish to proclaim thy royal dominion over my soul and body. Deign, O little King of Heaven, to watch over my work, bless my enterprises, both temporal and spiritual, to dispel my cares, to sanctify my joys, to alleviate my sufferings. Grant me pardon for all the offenses I have committed against thee, for I know that thou art good and merciful to the penitent sinner. Thine I am. Thine I wish to remain, ever loving and adoring thee, little King of heaven. Take possession of my whole being. Do with me whatever thou wilt. I desire, like Therese, thy little flower of Carmel, to be thy playmate. Make me love thee more and more, that one day I will enjoy thy sweet little face smiling from thy throne in heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, just quickly, I want to say, if you haven't gotten that ideal Christmas gift for somebody that you've been thinking about this year, let me recommend a statue of the Infant of Prague. It would be the ideal Christmas gift. And perhaps buy the card that goes along with it, the prayer card, or if you can find the book, then um, offer them that as well. It would be a wonderful gift. And I'm going to go so far as to say, if you don't have a copy, or if you don't have a statue of the Infant of Prague, buy yourself a gift this year. But Take the time to practice the devotion. That's the real gift. I want to thank you for joining us today on Carmelite Conversations. A quick reminder, we'll be back next week talking about St. John of the Cross, the great uh, um, saint for Advent. Francis has some notes that we're going to share on that, and we'll look forward to you joining us for that as well. Until then, God bless. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.